Hey everyone, this is Editing Laura. I just wanted to mention that this episode went a little bit longer than we were expecting. Fee and I were really enjoying chatting to Matt and so we ran a little bit over talking about resilience and how you work through burnout and practical tools. I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you soon. Bye. Hi and welcome to the Why You podcast a safe space to jam about careers, boost your confidence and answer that really difficult question, why should we hire you or why you? I'm Fee and I'm joined by my co-host Laura. Hey. And we've got a little bit of a extra episode, a bonus episode. Why don't you tell us about it, Laura? I'm really excited. This is helping us cap off our season two, which was all about resilience And today we're joined by Matt Hughes, who is a resilience expert and the founder of Ripen, which is an organization that's committed to helping people build their resilience to improve their well-being and their ability to perform. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Matt, what we wanted to start with is this question around why you. So Fee and I are really passionate about hearing people's stories what they care about, you know, how they describe what they do and who they are. So we would love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling us a bit about why you're passionate about resilience and why you're here today. You'll probably be able to tell from my accent that I'm from England. I'm from a small country town in southeast region of England. I'm one of four sons born into a working class family and Up until my mid to late 20s, I thought I was incredibly resilient. If you'd asked me, Matt, are you resilient? I would have said absolutely. I had been through some stuff in my life up to that point that I thought made me a resilient one. I, first and foremost, was born with a life-threatening birth defect that actually required major surgery as a baby and left me physically scarred for life. Uh, I'd overcome a difficult childhood that was wrought with financial insecurity and danger. My parents separated when I was 12. My dad wasn't really an active role in my life in my teenage years or in my early sort of young adult years and that can go either way for for young people and it certainly did for my brothers and I but we were very lucky to have a loving mum and a very loving grandparents as well uh, who really taught me to take care of others to treat women especially well and also to be incredibly hardworking. And that became my approach for dealing with everything I was going through. I I really focused on work and study as my way of getting through sort of these life experiences I was going through. And I somehow got accepted into an English grammar school that was typically reserved for privileged kids, but I got in through academic merit somehow. Uh, And that was really a springboard for my career. I, I built a successful career for myself across three continents as a chartered accountant. I emigrated to a new country, this wonderful land down under we call Australia. <laughs> uh, and I met my wife here and we decided to start a family. We've now got three three children, yikes. Uh, and these were all things that I thought made me a resilient one. And they did to some extent. But at the end of 2011 and the start of 2012, a series of personal setbacks combined to highlight my resilience was stacked a bit like a house of cards, sort of ready to topple over uh, life's inevitable setbacks and tragedies. And and at that time, a series of personal setbacks combined, I lost a very close loved one to cancer. That was, that was huge. My job in Australia was offshore to Hong Kong and I was told to either relocate or find a new job. And I, I faced some other 
major physical injury and, and social isolation, going through all of that stuff combined. And I decided to do what I'd always done, which is to use study to help myself through what I was going through. I, I realized I had never learned how to understand my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors for really facing life head on. And I decided to go back to university. I retrained in psychology, fell in love with understanding human behavior, human endurance, specialized in the topic of personal resilience and have spent the last decade since reading and studying everything there is to know about human resilience. Uh, and in 2016, I founded Ripen with the aim to bring all of the skills, tools and techniques that I uncovered throughout my, my journey of life and my studies to, to people in the, the business world, to everyday people who are trying to juggle work and life. Uh, and we're very lucky to work with individuals and teams across the globe. We've worked with you know, thousands of people in over 30 countries, multiple languages, uh, and, and very grateful for having had sort of a, a first-hand view as to how people are being resilient and, and managing their lives and, and everything that life throws at us. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I can really relate to, you know, going through a lot of things in childhood, feeling like I am resilient and, and being really grateful for what we did have and yeah. then being knocked around and being like, oh shit, I don't actually really know anything or I don't feel resilient at all. With the benefit of all the research you've done, can you break it down for us of, you know, what resilience is and what it isn't? We know there's a lot of conflicting information yeah. um, and different views on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Let's start at the top. The word resilience comes from the Latin word resiliere, meaning to recoil or rebound. And it was later translated into the noun we use today, resilience, which is the act of rebounding. And so because of this dictionary definition, we've come to talk about resilience as the ability to bounce back. You know, we might say, look at Fee, look at how resilient Fee is, look how well Fee can bounce back from setbacks. But the reality is we can't go back. We cannot go back to the people we were before and after hardships. We're not the same people we were before the pandemic as to who we are today. Resilience is actually about having a, a set of abilities, a, a set of tools that enable us to face setbacks, adversity, loss, failure, etc., to get through the situations faced and actually become a better version of ourselves in the process, not to bounce back, but actually to move ourselves forward. So that's what resilience is. In terms of what it isn't, it's not about enduring more and more stress. Chronic stress actually leads to exhaustion, which leads to burnout. So my mantra for life up until my mid-20s was just more and more, just more stress, the more I can take, that's what makes me resilient. It's also not about working 100% of the time. You know, people who wear their to-do list as a bit of a badge of honor, you know, look how busy I am. That becomes a bit of a mantra for some people. I'm so busy. But actually how we recharge is just as important as how hard we work. And also resilience is not guaranteed. Surviving a situation does not mean we've become more resilient. And we've, we've seen that as a result of the pandemic many people have we've all survived the pandemic here we are but actually many people's resilience is at an all-time low so it's not just about surviving a situation it's actually about what do we learn how do we learn to think feel and behave through the situations that we face 
I love that. And, you know, you talked about this misconception around it being about bouncing back. And I know Fee and I definitely talked about that definition. So sorry for uh, an uphill battle on convincing people that that's not the definition of resilience. (laughs) (laughs) We're really excited because I think that concept of moving yourself forward and growing through the challenges that you had is something that Fee and I are really passionate about. And we would love to hear more about specifically in there, you talked about burnout. Yeah. You know, I see that working in a corporate role, like there just seems a really high level of burnout out around the business at the moment so I was wondering if you had anything to share around burnout and what you're working with clients on yeah it's such a a, a popular word at the moment and actually it's the World Health Organization is still trying to figure out the definition for it I think they're in their 13th revision of what burnout means Um, I think one of the best definitions they've come up with is burnout is a process in which sort of everyday stresses and anxiety gradually undermine your mental and your physical health and it's actually so prevalent the World Health Organization has it listed as a disease and recent research in Australia published by the University of Melbourne suggests that one in two workers aged between 18 to 54 feel exhausted at work so that's 50% of the Australian workforce and and that suggests that definitely one of us on this call is is going through that or you know somebody you know and love is going through that somebody in your team perhaps maybe it's yourself and and so actually it's so prevalent we've got to ask why (laughs) we've got to get to the the root cause of what's going on and it's obviously different for different people there's lots of compounding factors going on right now and the emotional the psychological the social threats and uncertainty we face today you know really lend themselves to to people being more burnt out we we measure people's well-being coming into the resilience training with ripen and some of the top threats we're seeing across australia new zealand perhaps talk to why there's this burnout issue one in two people uh, saying their workload is unmanageable in terms of hours or volume uh, around one in two people are saying they've got poor work-life balance uh, and then one in three people are saying they've got a personal situation that's causing them unease that could be financial or family matters Uh, And then one in five people are facing either a new job or changing job role or they're pursuing personal goals and such as studying or health related goals. And that's really talking to this phenomenon we're seeing of quiet quitting, where people are showing up to work, just doing the bare minimum they have to, to get through their job. It's really interesting hearing those reflections. Mm. You know, what you've highlighted is there's obviously some top reasons like workload and the balance piece coming up time and time again for people in terms of why they're feeling burnt out. But there are other contributing factors to things like a mismatch of values in the environment you work in and how draining that can be over time for you as well and some of those interesting factors. So I'm curious, are there any other reasons for burnout that you're seeing? We get back to the root, the true root cause. I, I use that that language, root cause, because anybody who likes gardening or has tried to pull a weed out of the garden, if you just snap the top of a weed off, it just grows back, right? You've got to get the roots out to really get rid of the problem. And if we get to the root cause of the problem of burnout or low well-being, I think it's different for different people. But the root, root, root cause is that we just haven't learned how to manage ourselves at school we're taught how to solve mathematical problems not emotional problems we're taught how to understand the laws of physics not the laws of the mind we're taught how to prepare for exams not prepare for loss or adversity so people actually don't have a toolkit for managing themselves effectively and people pick up skills and habits along the way I did up until my mid to late 20s I had you know 
I exercised, I, I, I ran five kilometers a day, I ate healthily, I practiced meditation. These were, were habits, you know, well-being habits that media had told me would make me resilient or make me thrive through adversity, but actually they didn't. You know, it's because I didn't understand how to manage my, my, my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors in those, those critical moments. And we don't have to t- pay attention to ourselves in every moment, but we do in the moments that matter. Uh, and so p- different people are going through different things right now. And, and there's a cost of living crisis going on across uh, across this part of the world in the Asia Pacific. And I know that's happening across the world as well. And and so there's that. There's also how are people juggling their family and home lives. And depending on your stage of life, you might be facing looking at, I've got three children. So it doesn't matter how many resilient skills and tools I have. Whatever my children are going through, I'm going through. If my children are sick, I'm sick. If my children are struggling at school, I'm struggling at school. If my children aren't sleeping, I'm not sleeping. So even though you can manage yourself effectively, if you've got children or if you've got a team, if you're impacted by others, which we all are socially impacted by others, then you're going to be feeling stress. And it actually comes down to how do we manage ourselves? I know you've talked a little bit about this in your um, Ripen Academy podcast, and we've touched on it as well in ours about it's thinking about the response, how you respond. So, you know, the event plus the response is the outcome yep. and how you can really take take some action and, and feel a sense of control when you feel so out of control. Yep. Given this is going to come out in December 2023, it's the most, like the strongest time of year you see everyone so exhausted and burnt out. You know, other than trying to just think about how you respond to things, do you have any practical tips or tools that you think are important for people to practice to really centre themselves and and be in a place to grow resilience or work through things. Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to think about resilience is it's a protection against the threats that we face. And the definition we use uh, Ripen for resilience is it's a set of abilities that enable good outcomes despite serious threats. And there's lots of threats that we face, especially as you said, for you know Christmas and exhaustion and family time and all those other sort of events that can crop up. The threats we face fall into three broad buckets, and this talks to the habits that we can build for ourselves. So the first type of threats that we face is what's called physical threats, or scientists like like to call it biological resilience. The second type is mental threats, or what we call cognitive resilience. And then the third type is social threats, or what we call social resilience. So in terms of our you know, physical resilience, we need to be thinking about how we're managing ourselves from threats like th- flu, from disease from you know other types of fatigue that we might be our workload might require us to do manual labor so how are we managing our, our fatigue in terms of our, our mental threats you know, our cognitive resilience we've got to think about how we're managing workload stress how we're managing you know having to to deal with life's everyday struggles um, and and how we're managing things like like burnout that we've said you know in terms of the mental aspects of that and in terms of social resilience we've got to think about how do we manage ourselves around conflict criticism rejection social isolation especially at christmas if you're away from family you know i live on the other side of the world from from my family i've got my own family now which is very lucky but it's always a time of year when i'm leaning into how far away i am from from family overseas um so really it's what do you need to be doing to manage your physical your mental and your social well-being what what works for you and i would say this that a lot of people are far more resilient than they give themselves credit for they just don't necessarily know exactly what makes them resilient or how but i, I think some of the fundamental things to do certainly around the festive holiday season is is in terms of 
things you can do. And this talks to how I approach most situations. I call them the ABCs. So A is for attitude, B is for beliefs, and C is for care. So in terms of your attitude, how do you manage your perspective and your interpretation of what's happening to you? How are you responding to the events that you're facing? And and are you able to take moments out in the day to pause and reflect and actually challenge your assumptions or challenge the things you're telling yourself about the event that you're facing? So that's the A. The B is beliefs. Whether we like it or not, our early childhood creates both our brilliance and our darkness. And and there's lots of beliefs that we learn as children, as as young adults, that are actually passed on to us by other people, by parents, by society, by our our teachers, by our employers, wherever it may be. Uh, And so actually challenging the beliefs that are not working for us and and actually challenging where our beliefs are coming from and what we're telling ourselves about the things we're facing. And then the, the C is the care, the care for ourselves and the care for others. If you're somebody that doesn't take care of yourself, you are not resilient. You are not. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you treat your your body like this thing that just carries your brain around for you to be able to work, you are not resilient. Your body impacts your brain as much as your brain impacts your body. So taking care of yourself is not a, a pastime. It's absolutely a priority. Uh, and also care for others. How If you're somebody that doesn't care for others, doesn't have social connection, doesn't prioritize social connection, doesn't make space for being there for others, then you're you're are unlikely to be socially resilient as well and you're not going to have a support network in tough times so they're the abcs which i think talk to most people's situations and and actually it's about Mm. knowing what you do and what you don't do i'm sure you've probably got some habits that work for you right yeah we we've talked a bit about them but i like the simplicity of that like anyone hearing that like you kind of go oh yeah i'm probably not doing as much as i can around self-care or one of those three is probably a little bit low and and gives you something to to work on how about you laura how's that sitting for you Yeah, I was just going to say that I like that it's very holistic and your point about, you know, if you treat your body as something that's just carrying you through life and not pay attention to what you really need. Like, I definitely think I'm guilty of that at times. Like, I'm doing so many things I'm passionate about that often it's like, okay, should I trade off sleep to go and do this extra thing that I, like, really wanted to do or to get out and exercise? And I've definitely, at least in the last, like, probably – year or two some days have tried to just say to myself nah tomorrow we're sleeping in and yes you wanted to get all this other stuff done and be part of this and that but sometimes you just need that extra self-care yeah matt it talked to something that you mentioned when we were preparing for this episode around on and off time i don't know if you're happy to share about that yeah definitely we we talked about this idea of balance and living in balance didn't we and Work-life balance is the one that we often talk about, and it's a pursuit that is actually quite often impossible. The word balance suggests that two sides can be made equal, if we think about the old-fashioned weighing scales that past generations used to use. You'd balance out either side to, 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 to weigh things, to scale things. But actually, it's rarely possible to give an equal focus to competing needs, and failure to find balance can leave us feeling stressed and worn out. And actually, the antidote to to burnout, or one of the antidotes to burnout that we talk about is how can you apply counterbalance? Counterbalance is used effectively in sports seasons, in military operations, in healthcare rosters, and in fly-in, fly-out working for mining and, and whatnot. And what, what it talks to is these sorts of environments, so let's just take sport, for example, it's one that most people can relate to, they either 
play sport or they love sport or they know about sport, um, you have an on-season, you have an off-season, right? And the reason there's an on-season and off-season in sport is because elite athletes or, or even just everyday sports people who are who are having to show up for their performance, so they're, they're training hard, they're very disciplined about their eating and their sleeping, you know, they're competing at, at a certain level. And so that if they were like that for the full year, every year, they would they would quickly reach burnouts to the point of no recovery. And so actually counterbalance is this idea that they have an off season. So they have a period of time and it's not always the exact same amount of time. Often the sports season is, is a little bit longer. Sometimes it's shorter than the off season. But, you know, we need to figure out what our off season looks like. You know, military operations and healthcare professionals, they have really tough rosters and often work in night shifts and, and random hours. But they're often given big, or they should be given big chunks of time for recovery off the back of what they've been through. Um, and so the rest of us, we're relying on the weekend. But the trouble is the mm. week doesn't end, does it? <laughs> we keep going. The work often flows into the weekend. I can't. I actually value my work week some weeks more than my weekend because on the weekend it's more exhausting looking after three children than it is going to work. <laughs> so, you know, it's all about finding the off season for your work. What does your off mm. time look like? I don't know if you've both got any ideas on what that would look like for you. This is one of the areas I feel pretty confident in because I probably in the last year or two when I've had a lot of really tough times really bought out from all the pressure that we see in society and social media that you've just got to keep adding more things or if you're just doing stuff, just accepting that rest yeah. is productive. And I really had to work at that of like, oh, you know, learning how to play video games. I was like, oh, I'm wasting time. I'm like, no, actually, it's really productive. I'm learning a, a skill. I'm challenging myself with my vision impairment to try to learn different motor skills and resting and, and just really clicking that in of rest is productive and it's so hard even now like I'm sort of two years into really trying to carve out time for that I still fall into like I should be doing this I should be doing that and like yeah there's definitely a few areas I can work on how about you Laura? Yeah I think one thing that really stood out to me just how little our corporate system supports on and off time for most roles and there isn't an on and off season for most of them it's like okay if a project's finished yes people talk about let's have some downtime and celebrate after but in practice I think you just end up with you know one of the other many priorities that have already fallen off the list and is way overdue now so I, I definitely think that that stands out to me I don't have a great solution but I think it's something that I really want to think through in the coming like you know six months and 12 months and how can I not only create that space for myself but also as a project manager and supporting a, a large-scale program like how do we help our team do that how do we give people permission to switch off or it is so I think that's what really stands out to me is that it's a work in progress but it's a really important thought starter yeah definitely uh, I think it's easy to point the blame at organizations and say they don't create an environment for me to do this and absolutely there's some organizations that just don't they've got expectations mm. on their people that are beyond what's reasonable but actually it's also on us to take charge yeah. of ourselves and if you're working in a place that doesn't allow for that and actually is really damaging for that then you've got to ask yourself should you be there any longer but also what are you doing to take charge of that? Have you created healthy boundaries for yourself? You know, boundaries are the distant space and time we create for ourselves from for our needs, you know, separate to others' needs, other people's or other organizations' needs, you know. So actually, how much have we taken charge of those things as well? And many organizations now have realized that you can have 
well-being without high performance, but you can't have high performance without well-being. And so there's this real mm. focus on how can we actually provide an environment, even if they didn't believe it or want to do that or necessarily prioritize that before, they're now realizing that actually doing the right thing is good for business. And Oxford University have published a study just this year, in May this year, um, that shows that higher company well-being leads to all the business metrics that that people care about so it leads to higher stock market valuation it leads to higher return on assets it leads to higher gross profit margin it, it leads to higher company valuation these are the key business metrics that the all for-profit businesses are in, in business to do so there's now a real business case for them to prioritize it but it still comes down to us as individuals and actually it's on us our, our own well-being is on us we can't blame other people we've got to take charge for it and too much of anything is is unhealthy you know, you can mm. if you sit in a chair for three or four hours long, you will become fidgety. Even if you're watching your favourite show, you'll want to get up and move or grab a break to get something to eat or drink. You know, even when you're binging Netflix, you still need to give yourself a break. So we, we've got to think about balance. It's not just work and life. It's 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 we've got to think about how we balance in work and play, how we balance in mm. solitude and socialising, how we balance in discipline and freedom. Or stillness and movement, you know, it, it's it's all of those important that. factors about being human. It's not just work yeah. life. We've got to actually break it down a little bit more. And I like the thought about capacity. Brene Brown talks about this a fair bit. Of you're not giving a hundred percent capacity to all of the things. You have to actually think a layer deeper to go. Okay, I've got. I'm going to give fifty percent of my capacity to work, but actually today I only really feel like I have twenty percent of capacity to give to yeah. that. So then, how do you show up to then think about that? Because we, we, you know, you talk about that in work planning. Like, what's everyone's capacity? And it's all to this metric that it's to fill up a hundred percent and and going. Okay, you should be eighty percent capacity with all your work projects, yeah. but that's that's of your work time, not a hundred percent of your human capacity. And like just breaking that down a little bit to really think through, okay, what does that look like? What does it feel like? That's a really hard feeling to also know in yourself. Like when am I yeah. over? What am I doing? And and the boundaries in between it is something I've been trying to to work on a little bit and talk through at work and, and set that up in our structures. So we're not just being like, cool, a hundred percent of a hundred percent all the time. Nice. <laughs> it's just not, not possible. <laughs> I love that language you use in fee around that hundred percent, because what I, what I thought made me productive and most people think this as well, is that working 100% of the time makes us productive, but actually mm. what makes us productive is dividing. Yes, there's, there needs to be a chunk of time for hard work, but we need to allow a chunk of time for time off we need to allow a chunk of time for sleep we need to allow a chunk of time for things like healthy eating or exercise so actually what makes us productive is not 100% hard work actually by taking time out we are giving our brains time to connect neurons for learning to, to solidify for us to creatively problem solve you know for us to think flexibly to what we're facing uh, and if you are close to burnout if you're listening is thinking do you know what? Yeah, I, I've actually I feel like I'm close to burnout. It, two two things I want to say. Firstly, full burnout is when you mentally and physically collapse. So if you're if, if you're not if you haven't mentally and physically collapsed, you're not a full burnout. I had a friend recently said that they ran the, uh, a run running race in their local area. It was a 15 kilometer running race, and then they turned to me and said, "I'm I'm burnt out." And I said, "There's no way you're burnt out." Like if you were burnt out, you would not have been able to do that that running race. They're a C they're a CFO. They've got a very senior job. 
yes, they're probably feeling close to burnout, but there's no way you could have run a 15 kilometer running race if you're actually at full burnout. The step before full burnout is is when you're feeling depressed, lost, or completely exhausted. So if you're at either of those areas, depressed, lost, completely exhausted, or you have mentally or physically collapsed, then adding stuff to your plate is not a good strategy. Starting things like, I'm going to start creating healthy boundaries, or I'm going to start scheduling breaks for rest, or I'm going to start prioritizing self-care. Anything with, that starts with the word start is going to add stuff to your plate. Whereas actually what you need to do is, what can you stop doing? And if there's one question you can ask yourself is, is what one or two things that if taken off my plate would alleviate 80% of the, the exhaustion I feel. So it might be stop saying yes to excessive new responsibilities. It might be stop tasks that are non-urgent or non-important. Stop projects I don't need to be involved with. You know, I get a lot of organizations, clients coming to me around this time of the year saying, Matt, we need this, we need that, we need this. And I say to them, do you need it before Christmas? Because your people are exhausted. <laughs> do you really need to so roll true. out this this <laughs> workshop, this thing before Christmas actually give your people a break and let's let's regroup in the new year (laughs) you know it's very relatable I I feel that in a lot of whether it's starting new projects or just fitting in one more workshop or one more session it's yeah it's such a common thing and I do think just having the permission to ask whether it's your team your clients or whoever to just say hey are we okay to just park this until you know, January, February, and just give everyone space to tie up the loose ends and to kind of really start to scale down towards this end of the year. Exactly. Is this essential? If it is essential, then ask yourself, what's the time frame that it has to be delivered in? And actually, when you sit back and look at it, and you look at why this deadline or this timeline has been put on it, and ask yourself, is, is that timeline actually A, realistic, and B, possible (laughs) and Mm -hmm. see you know is it is it absolutely essential then you may find is it achievable without killing everybody because that's that's you know (laughs) exactly because you might get to the end of the project and get it across the line but then what's the cost to everyone involved and can you then go to phase two or phase three um, and what's the cost of that Now, Matt, I'm mindful that we have gone over time because the conversation has been so enjoyable and interesting. So I'm just wondering, is there anything else you wanted to close on? I think you've asked some really important questions today and hopefully there's been some really useful insights for your listeners. Uh, I would say from a personal perspective that life doesn't get any easier. We, We have to get more resilient. And there's certain things that we're born with that make us resilient in each of those areas, biological, cognitive, and social resilience. But most of what makes us resilient is the learned stuff. It's the learned skills, tools, habits, behaviors, beliefs, all the stuff that underpins who we are. If, if you are willing to, to, you know, explore and, and learn, you can, you can become truly resilient because no matter who you are nobody escapes pain fear and suffering it's a fact of life and if like me you get to a period in your life when you're not ready then then life will will let you know and it's it's one of those things you don't know you're resilient until you need to be 
Yeah, the more and more that we talk, I think about how it's this, it's a skill, it's a skill to work on, it's something to upskill ourselves on and we should need to pay as much attention to that as we are to to other things, which is a nice accidental segue to our (laughs) series three that's coming up where we talk a lot about skills and development. I don't know if we talk about resilience as that specifically, but that's really hitting to me is like, you know, how can we keep like upskilling that? Yeah. So where can our listeners hear more from you, Matt? Yeah, well, if they head to ripen.be, then they can get information on on the resilience training we offer for individuals and teams across the globe, and they can get access to our podcast. We've got two podcasts. One is called the Ripen Academy, which is resilience sound bites in five minutes or less, which is great for even the busiest (laughs) of days. Uh, And then we've got the recipe for resilience where I actually talk to real world people about their real world stories of resilience and ask them what's their recipe for resilience. One of the things that I experienced myself going through the, the pandemic and working with people across the globe is that every single one of us has a resilience story. We're all on this resilience mm. journey, whether we've identified that or not. And I've been really enjoying getting to talk to real world people. You know, sometimes I get the occasional, you know, I had recently interviewed David Hall, who's Paralympic gold medalist, eight time Grand Slam, US Open tennis champion. Um, and, you know, so, but generally it's talking with, with everyday people we can, we can all relate to and they've got stories to share as well. So, yeah, mm. check those those out and, and reach out anytime to us via the website or other channels. I'm on LinkedIn if anybody wants to connect and reach out as well. I love that. And, yeah, I've listened to a, a couple of the episodes and it's really it is so fascinating hearing everyone's stories and different journeys. And, yeah, thank you so much for coming and sharing some of your story and, and a lot of your work and, and insights with us. We super appreciate it. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with Series 3 kicking off very soon. But uh, thank you for listening to the bonus episode. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.